This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Guys, that is 1 Corinthians 10.31. Glad to have you on the show today. Guys, just a little quick PSA from the beginning. If you hear something rumbling during this episode, it's not my stomach. I am well fed, but there are some thunderstorms running through here. It is Oklahoma after all. So if you hear that, that is what that is. And before we get on to anything else, I just want to remind you guys that we've got new swag in the Undaunted Life shop. We have a new hat and t-shirt. Guys, the pre-order is almost up. The pre-order ends on May 31st. And guys, I am cutting it off on May 31st. So if you want the new hat or the new shirt the hats by themselves are 40 the new shirt is 30 but you can get them both for only 60 bucks so you just need to go to undaunted.life backslash shop you can find that in the show notes and guys also quick PSA for this week that's what is that second or third PSA just for this one we will have a bonus episode this week Okay, so I I don't normally release on Mondays. I don't certainly release on Monday afternoons or anything like that. So this week you will be getting three episodes because we got a special guest coming on Thursday to kind of go over some drama that was stirred up by him. But that's not going to be normal. But maybe over these next few months or something like that, we we may have some weeks where there's some three-episode weeks. Maybe there's some interviews that I got to get out because that week is the week the book releases or something like that. But again, we will normally release two episodes a week. This week, we're going to be be releasing three. So just say thank you, guys. Just say thank you. All right, guys, today in the quick hitters segment, we're going to discuss a major incidence of racism that happened during a Yankees and White Sox game over the weekend, or did it, uh, the Biden administration pausing their newly announced disinformation board, gas prices hitting a new record high in the United States, Border Patrol agents encountering the highest number of people on our southern border in over a century, and then Netflix telling their woke employees to grow up. But should we actually believe them? But today, we're going to be talking about the body positivity movement, or as it would be more accurately called, the fat positivity movement. Okay, and there are actually people that do call this movement, you know, fat activism. Now, here's the deal. I've actually wanted to talk about this particular subject for a very long time. So if you go back to whenever I took off a little bit uh, a time to, you know, prepare for Squish coming into the world and all that, you know, I had notes as to kind of some of the topics that I wanted to hit right when I came back or maybe some stuff I was trying to sneak in right before I took my break. And I wrote this in the margins of my notes and it's been sitting there for months and months and months. So really since the beginning of the year, I've wanted to talk about this. Now, I also want to talk about the fact that this show, you know, I do have some shows that the the content of the show is very offensive to people, but this one will be especially because I know there is certainly a segment of my audience that is significantly overweight. Some people would say fat. I would say fat. You would say fat. But the thing is, is people get very, very sensitive about their weight. And for good reason. I used to be fat back in the day whenever I was, you know, a kid growing up in school. And then I, I kind of leaned out and, and, you know, started focusing on fitness and all those different things. So, so I get it. Like even to this day, I don't have the best body positivity that you could possibly have as an adult male living in the United States with all this stuff at my fingertips. But I will say to all of you guys that are thinking about skipping this episode, or maybe the title of the episode pissed you off or something like that. Stay in the pocket, stay in the pocket on this one. This isn't something that I'm just like pointing at people, trying to shame them for shame's purpose, and we'll get more into shame here in a second. But guys, the temptation will be to just shut this out and kind of move on with your life. Please do not do that. But the reason why I'm kind of doing this and doing this right now and releasing it earlier than I was expecting was because of the latest Jordan Peterson controversy. This guy's always stepping in something or, you know, there's some sort of ginned up controversy. But recently, Sports Illustrated magazine, they released their latest installment of their softcore porn, softcore uh, porn issue, which is, you know, their swimsuit issue. But historically, SI, since, you know, they're primarily a magazine that focuses on, you know, the exploits of the world's best athletes, they show the athletic human form prominently in the magazine. Because if you're covering sports, that's what you have to do. And this is especially true in their swimsuit issue. Now, obviously, I have some major issues with the swimsuit issue. That's why, and even SI knows that the issue itself is problematic because they will allow you to get a subscription without that issue being in there. But for years and years, it has essentially devolved. This the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue has devolved into professional swimsuit models who, you know, admittedly are in amazing shape. They're essentially whoring themselves for money uh, from men who will just use the magazine later as a masturbatory aid. That, that's all that this magazine is. But now it's being used as a political cudgel to kind of beat people into submission. So SI decided to throw a curveball this year in particular. Okay. So as opposed to putting, you know, a highly airbrushed, but very typically big breasted and in shape bombshell on the cover, 
they decided to put a fat woman on the cover. Now, I don't know the history of this issue because I don't pay attention to the SI swimsuit issue. So I believe this is the first time they put uh, what they would call a plus size model on the cover. But here we are. We have this plus size fat woman that is on the cover of the SI swimsuit issue. Her name is Yumi Nu, if, if you care about that. But considering the track record of covers up to this point in history, this came as a shock to a lot of people. You know, a lot of people were commenting about it on the Internet. Uh, you know, people that pay attention to this sort of thing. But this hit a lot of people's radar on May the 16th of this year when Jordan Peterson tweeted the picture of the SI cover with the following commentary. Sorry, not beautiful. And no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that. Now, as you can pos- you know, probably imagine, anytime a man comes out and says anything that is negative and, as it pertains to the appearance of a woman, regardless of what the woman looks like, it's, it's seen as a negative thing. But the backlash was immediate and full-throated and just kind of is what it is. And, you know, he kind of responded, Jordan Peterson responded to some of that criticism, he even responded to one particular guy on Twitter by saying this, it's a conscious progressive attempt to manipulate and retool the notion of beauty, reliant on the idiot philosophy that such preferences are learned and properly changed by those who know better, but don't let the facts stop you. And he actually uh, linked to a couple of different articles that kind of talked about how, you know, even babies will respond to more attractive faces in a more positive light, blah, 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 blah. But because of all this backlash, JP decided that he was going to leave Twitter. Okay, we'll get more into that here in a second. But this is actually what he wrote, uh, you know, talking about him leaving Twitter. The endless flood of vicious insults is really not something that can be experienced anywhere else. I like to follow the people I know, and I think the incentive structure of the platform makes it intrinsically and dangerously insane. He's talking about Twitter, obviously. So I told my staff to change my password to keep me from temptation and am departing once again. If I have something to say, I'll write an article or make a video. If the issue is not important enough to justify that, then perhaps it would be best to just let it go. And I plan to write an article on the technical reasons that Twitter is maddening us all very soon. Bye for now. Okay. So a few things just kind of quickly where I think JP went wrong on this. First, in the initial tweet, he used the word beauty and not healthy. Okay. So let me read this back to you and I'll insert that word. Sorry, not healthy. And no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that. That probably would have been a better use because obviously beauty is in the eye of the beholder. This woman, you know, had a very attractive face, but obviously a very, you know, bordering on morbidly obese body. She was kind of getting to that point of certainly being very significantly overweight. Also, he, he didn't follow his own advice that I've, I've used myself and have, you know, encouraged other people to use, which is to let the outrage die down for a couple of weeks and then just get back to business. Right, you know, batten down the hatchets, realize that it's going to blow over. They'll find something else to be mad at and just kind of move forward. He's he's talked about that a lot, but he didn't really follow his own advice here. And then I guess the other thing that he, I really wouldn't have done if I was him is he left the pro, the platform loudly. Like he, he he announced to everybody, hey, I am leaving the platform now, when he could have done so quietly. You know, he could have changed his password and, you know, let his team keep him off it so he'd keep off temptation and just not tweeted anything for about a month. And, you know, there would be, you know, a few thousand people that might be a little bit concerned or, or wondering why he wasn't posting live, but it really wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But, but here's the reality. Here's the reality about all this. Jordan Peterson was right. He was right. Again, he used the word beauty and not healthy, but I think we kind of know what he was trying to talk about. And he was right, and everybody knows it. That's why there's the outrage. Because this is one of those sacred cows that you can't touch. I mean, no pun intended on the cow reference. You just can't touch this because it has to do with people's appearance, right? Which made me really delve into the history of the whole fat positivity movement. And guys, believe it or not, you can get down a rabbit hole. And I'm not going to go through all the stuff that I read, but this began back in the 1960s where most of the world's you know worst stupid ideologies began. But it began because fat people at the time were starting to protest that they were being discriminated against because of their size, right? Again, their size is something that they could presumably control, but they were somehow being discriminated against and that their size was leading to a lack of access for them and something like that. But where this really all kicked off was in 1967 when there was an op-ed written by a guy named Llewellyn Louderback or Lou Louderback called More People Should Be Fat. Okay, so in a surprise to nobody... Louderback himself was a fatty, but the thing is, is you can get into all this stuff. And I actually put that in the show notes because I'm not going to read it here because it's it's kind of a long op-ed and all these different things. But this guy back in the 1960s, he and his wife were both fat. He wanted everybody to accept the fact that they were fat. And so he tried to make it like it's this thing, right? Here's this big official thing that being fat is okay. Now, this kind of led to a lot of things that have been expanded on over time, okay? There's something called the fattosphere now. So that is the the blogosphere, but for fat people, so people that can, you know, you know, 
I guess, write down their thoughts about fatness and what it's like to live as a fat person in this world. There's something called fat in gatherings, fat ins. And so all these people that are fat apparently get together in a room that's got to be probably a pretty large size room. They got to get together and they're, they're having a fat in like you people used to do sit-ins, right? Whenever they ra- were racially segregated, you know, restaurants and stuff like that, they did a sit-in. So they have fat ins. There's the invention of something called fat phobia. Right. Because if you want your your stuff to kind of get to the mainstream, just put the word phobia after it. Right. Create an issue, create an entire category of people and issues. So fat phobia was created. But then that all gave way to the fat positivity movement. Now, I got to go over some of the realities of the fat positivity movement here. So indulge me a little bit. The first one is that this is just the latest iteration of the the world should love me for who I am and as I am movement. Right. So no matter what your thing is, no matter what the thing is that you're into, no matter what you identify as, the world is just supposed to say, yeah, totally makes sense. And I love you. Thank you for being unique. This is just the latest iteration of that. Also, it's the latest iteration of the look at me. I'm a victim to I'm in a marginalized group thing because there are people that actually think that being fat makes them a marginalized person. Whereas there are other people that have immutable characteristics like Maybe they were born a woman or they were born a person of color or they were born short or tall or something like that. Something that they literally have no control over and can't just magically identify as something else. But people that are fat are opting into that type of ideology that they are some sort of a marginalized group. That's what the fat positivity movement is leaning towards and leading people to. Also, this movement is causing fat people to look at themselves with pride and not shame, which is deadly. You have a lot of people that need to get their lives on track. They need to be moving more and eating less and taking care of themselves. But instead, they're looking at the cells saying, not only is this okay, this is what beauty looks like. Look at TV commercials. You have, you know, Adidas and all these other the major sports entities are showing these incredibly overweight people, not like, hey, look, they're trying to aspirationally get to a smaller size to where they can be healthier in this world. It's like, no, 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 this is the size they are. This is the size they're going to stay. And here's the stretchy pants they're wearing, right? You see these magazine covers. I think a couple of months ago, it was Cosmo had these magazines that said, this is healthy. And it had these very obese women on the cover wearing like yoga pants doing, you know, some sort of a stretch or something like that. But the thing is, is people don't like to use shame anymore. And I think shame is one of the best, if not one of the most appropriate motivators for somebody. Because what keeps me from sitting on the couch and getting fat, what keeps me from eating some of the food that I want to eat at the times I want to eat it, is the potential shame of being back to the size I was back in the day. When I was a kid, whenever, you know, I would have people literally walk up and grab my little man tits, right? I mean, yeah, I was bullied and all those different things. But part of that is I brought it on myself and my parents brought it on me because of the stuff they fed me, right? But The thing is, is shame is a tremendous motivator. Why do you not do some of the things that you want to do in life that would be hurtful to you or people in your life? Because you're trying to avoid future shame, future stick. You know, everyone talks about carrot, but you're avoiding future stick. But this whole movement is causing people that look the way that they do to just ignore that and say, this is me and I'm beautiful and it's awesome. Don't you think I'm awesome too? Another thing that this movement has done is it has successfully somehow rebranded common concern and interventions as fat shaming. And oh, you don't want to, you don't want to blank shame. You don't want to slut shame. You don't want to race shame. You don't want to fat shame. But if you were to show concern to a friend, which I've done with friends in my life before, right? I think I've talked about that on the show here before. I can't remember the exact context, but there are people that are overweight where even their families would come to me because they know I have an influence on these people. And they're like, please, can you talk to, you know, such and such and so-and-so I'm really concerned about them. They've gained so much weight over the last year. You know, they're so young. I don't want them to die early of a heart attack. I want them to, you know, keep being my brother and keep being, you know, a father to the kids and keep being the cousin or whatever the, the situation is for that person. But if you do any of those things now, if you take a friend aside and say, Hey brother, you've gained a lot of weight over the last six months to a year. Uh, you're not exercising anymore. Uh, you know, I see some of the stuff that you eat. Uh, this is very, very dangerous for you. And brother, I love you. Uh, you. You can't do this anymore. That's fat shaming. You can't do that. Because what could possibly be worse than hurting someone's feelings? Now, never mind the fact that their, their blood type is brown gravy. No, we don't need to talk about that. We don't need to talk about the fact that they're going to go to an early grave because of decisions that they're making. We just want to make sure that they don't feel bad. That's something that this movement has done. Also, this movement is breeding fat people. 
when we literally, guys, we literally live in the easiest time in human history to be in elite shape, elite shape, okay? Because here's the thing. People used to be in shape back in the day just because they existed, right? There wasn't a whole lot of food around. There certainly wasn't food that was made in a factory. And they actually worked using their bodies, right? You know, they were keeping, keeping up the, the village or, you know, you know, going off and hunting or fighting or something like that. So they were just skinny. They were just in shape. They were just as healthy as they could be, but they looked healthy, right? Because they were smaller. But now we live in a world where there are amazing supplements. There are super diet plans. You could even get your blood or your, you know, genetic code or whatever sent off to some lab somewhere and they'll send you a, a like rundown of the foods you should avoid because they're bad for your genetics and foods that you should, you know, go towards because of your genetics. You can get that done. There's free exercise programs everywhere. Every time somebody asks me to make an exercise program for them, I'm like, Dude, seriously, just go to YouTube and type in whatever, like hit workout or running workout or heavy bag workout. There's so many free things out there for you. There's nothing keeping you from any of these things. And again, guys, just think of what people that are quote unquote in shape look like in 2022. And then go back 50 years ago and look at what those people look like. I saw a picture the other day. It was like five or six, you know, strong men of the day. This was probably, you know, close to a hundred years ago or something like that. It was hilarious. These guys were not big at all. They may have been strong, but they didn't have these bulging muscles. They weren't super vascular. They didn't have veins popping out everywhere. They weren't tanned and shaved and all those different things. Being in shape 100 years ago is way different than it is today. And yet, we still have this overwhelming abundance, especially in the United States of America, of people that are morbidly obese. And not just according to BMI, because according, according to BMI, I weigh too much. But I mean people that are legitimately overweight. Okay? But I, I just kind of need to be clear about something here as, as we continue talking about this. Fat people are not a marginalized group. F fat phobia, is, it's not a real thing, okay? Fat people are not healthy. And I, I know this all, this all seems mean. It seems super judgmental, all those different things. But we need to stop trying to like take care of people's feelings. People need to sit in this shame for a little bit if they're going to make that life change. How often do you make a life change just because you wake up one day and you're super inspired and you change your life for the next decade, decade based on the feeling that you had when you woke up? No. These people need to understand that they're like that for a reason because here is the hardest truth of them all, okay? Fat people are fat by choice. It is a choice to be the size that you are. Now, I will create one small caveat for people who have legitimate thyroid issues. And by legitimate thyroid issues, I mean there is such a problem with their thyroid and its functioning that no matter how much you take care of yourself, you will continue to gain weight. There are people out there like that. It's just a weird thing. It is like, it's just a crazy thing that these people have to deal with. It's really hard and I hate that for them. But for the overwhelming majority of the rest of the population that is overweight, they are that way because they've chosen to be. Because when the choice was between watching Netflix or working out, they chose Netflix. When the choice was a sport that, you know, will, will keep you trim as opposed to a sport that will kind of aid in your fatness, you know, jujitsu versus golf or something like that, that, that's what they chose. Whenever they could have eaten, you know, uh, the, the steak with a sweet potato and broccoli, they decide to eat a, a double quarter pounder or, you know, with two milkshakes and a bunch of fries. Like that's what they chose to do. And they've done it and they've compounded it time after time after time. And I'm not talking about people that are big boned or genetically everyone in my family's big. Even with those people, if you were on a significant diet and exercise regimen, you're not going to look the way that you look now. And that's a hard truth that people need to understand is that you're fat in America, especially and you are that because of a choice that you've made and because of a you know, combination of choices that you've made over time. I know that seems harsh, but now we need to go to what the Bible says about all this, okay? Because I'm not just kind of pulling this stuff out and, you know, oh, well, you're already in shape, so of course you'd say that. You're going to put yourself on the right side. Let's really dig down. So we need to talk about exercise, laziness, gluttony, self-control, all those different things. So let's start with exercise. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, before everyone starts freaking out, all you theologians out there, Paul is mainly talking about sexual sin. You see that in the context of the things he's talking about in his first letter to the church in Corinth, okay? But since Christ died, right? And this is basic theology. I'm not going to go too deep here. But since Christ died, 
the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of our bodies. It used to dwell in the temple, the physical temple, a place, and now it dwells in a people, in us as individuals. Okay? And so this idea that we don't need to take care of our bodies is nonsense. I've heard people explain away fatness by using this scripture, albeit exegeting it very, very poorly. They're like, oh, it's, it's really no big deal. You know, your body is what it is. You're going to get a new body anyway in heaven, so why do we care about this one? And it's funny, everybody that makes an argument like that is fat. You don't see anybody that spends a lot of time taking care of themselves arguing for it in that way. Also, I talk about, you know, the first four books or first four chapters, rather, of the book of Nehemiah. It's some of my favorite parts of the entire Bible. But, you know, just kind of bring us up to speed. Nehemiah is going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. You know, he convinces everybody. He kind of becomes a politician, gets everybody fired up to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Right. But then he doesn't say, guys, so we're going to start a training program tomorrow morning. You know, it's P90X. We're, we're going to do some pull-ups, push-ups, and, and air squats, and we're going to get everybody in shape. And, you know, at the end of those 90 days, we're all going to do the MRF to show that we've, you know, we've really come and, uh, to this great place of being in shape. We've really arrived, and then we're going to get to work. Because the work's going to be hard. It's going to be backbreaking work, rebuilding these walls. And also, we'll mix in some, you know, jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai and Western boxing training because, you know, we're maybe going to have to fight off some people as some people are working. No. There was no training that needed to happen. These people were physically ready for the work. And so as I describe a lot of times, if God required something of you that made you have to get out of your comfort zone and do something physically so that he could have his glory be brought to a particular people group or to a situation, are you ready for that? If it requires walking for a long ways or, you know, working very, very difficult in difficult circumstances using your body, are you ready for that? Because most of you, you're not. Because you have not honored God with your body for decades at this point. Now we need to talk also about laziness. So let's go to Proverbs 6, verses 9 through 11. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? And when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Now, I could have picked one of like a dozen different proverbs that talked about laziness and slothfulness and being a sluggard, great word, but this overall idea of laziness is not a positive thing. Like you don't hear laziness talked about in the Bible as this great thing that we should all aspire to. There's talk of rest, there's, there's talk of sleep, there's talk of those things, but whenever you are able-bodied and able-minded and yet you choose with your able mind not to work, that is a major, major problem. We see that throughout the Bible, certainly in the Proverbs. Now we need to talk about the sin of gluttony. So let's go to Proverbs 23, verses 20 and 21. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. So here's the reality of this as well. Gluttony is a big deal. And that goes for everybody. So even if you're somebody that's in shape, and there's a thunder for you guys, there it is. I told you, it's not your stomach. Perfect timing for the thunder, though. But the gluttony is something that applies to everybody. But again, since most people are fat by choice, gluttony becomes a lifestyle. Every meal is gorging yourself. Or you spread out your meals and you're gorging yourself over a span of one waking day, right? But it's sinful to act in that way. And the last thing that I guess we can talk about on this is just having self-control overall. Kayla, so let's go back to 1 Corinthians, but let's go uh, 9 verses 20, 20 through 27, 24 through 27 rather. So 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And then guys, we'll go to Galatians 5, 22 and 23 here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things are there is no law. So self-control is a very, very big thing here. It, it, it's something that we need to make sure that we are controlling ourselves. So if you are eating too much, it is sinful to keep doing that because you are not showing self-control. If you are not exercising your body, if you are not staying in shape, you are controlling yourself to the detriment of your body. You're saying, no, I'm just going to stay in. I'm going to take another year off to rest or something like that. Having self-control is very, very important to all of this. Now, 
Quick sidebar before, sidebar before I kind of bring all this home. There are obviously risks associated with focusing on your body too much, with focusing on exercise and dieting too much, because like anything else, too much of a God-given good thing can be sinful, okay? You can make being in shape an idol. It can certainly become an idol. I would say I probably lean towards that if I'm being honest. Like I'm making an idol of looking a certain way or being able to perform in a certain way. But also you can easily become covetous of someone else's body or performance, right? Like, oh, look how tall that person is. Or, Man, his abs look amazing. Or, my calves aren't that big. Man, I can't believe he can deadlift that much weight. He does how many pull-ups in a week? You can always get to that point. So you obviously have to you know, focus on that and make sure that you're aware of that. But I do want to go back to the scripture that I said from the beginning of the podcast. It's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. So I'm going to read a few commentaries on this particular scripture. So this is from the ESV Reformation Bible Commentary. Paul brings his argument in chapters 8 through 10 to its climax. The Christian's every decision is to be governed and determined by what will promote the manifested excellence of God through the drawing of Jews and Greeks to faith and the strengthening of the church of God. Now, this is from the Moody Bible Commentary on 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. To do something for the glory of God is to act in such a way that people see him in action and that his reputation is enhanced. And now we're going to go to the MacArthur Bible Commentary here. Christian liberty as well as the most common behavior, is to be conducted to the honor of God. The most common behavior, even what you eat, even how you exercise. So here are three big questions that you guys need to ask yourselves or ask to the men in your life that you have some you know, uh, influence on, okay? The first is something like, is sitting on the couch and watching your waistline grow promoting the manifested excellence of God? Here's another one. Is constantly gorging yourself with food made in you know, a factory somewhere, allowing people to see him in action and enhancing his reputation? And another one to consider here, are the choices you're making pertaining to your diet and exercise showing honor or dishonor to God? And obviously, if the you know, title of this podcast was any hint to you, obviously I think that this is showing dishonor to God. Something that I've talked about before when I've, I've done some speeches and I've had some people not react very positively to it, but you know, we, we kind of get there is I talk about spiritual, mental, and physical resilience on a daily basis, right? You know, cultivating those things on a daily basis. The thing about physical resilience is you can see that in somebody. Now there are people that have bad bodies. I mean, you look at someone like, you know, Tyson Fury or Daniel Cormier or someone like that. These are people that do not have good bodies, that they're some of the most in shape people on the planet, but their bodies just don't look good, right? They're, they're, they're visually fat, even though they're not fat on their inside. But for the most part, aside from some of those, you know, exceptions of exceptions, you can see whether or not somebody's physically resilient. You can look at somebody and be able to determine whether or not they would be able to run to the end of their street and die or not right? Whereas it's kind of hard to tell whether or not somebody's mentally or spiritually that, right? Whether somebody is mentally or spiritually at a point where, you know, uh, they're all the way to the point of being able to cultivate that resilience. They're super, super resilient in those areas. Okay. So that's all very important. But now before we wrap up the section, I do want to talk about the ways that we can combat the fat positivity movement. Okay. Some people call it body positivity or whatever, but the fat positivity movement, this is how we can combat that. The first thing, and this is to all of us individually is model physical health and wellness personally, model it personally, because if you aren't in shape, why are you telling other people about being in shape? And this especially goes for pastors because you see these pastors are talking about how you should live and what you should do and how you should comport yourself. And man, they're biggies. They're really, really big. They're clearly not taking care of themselves. And that's a problem. So you should model physical health and wellness personally if you're going to tell other people to do it. Okay. Another way to combat the fat positivity movement is to not celebrate people for losing weight. Don't celebrate it. Now, this might sound crazy considering, you know, all the stuff I've talked about, but, but follow me here. Because you have people, we all have people like this in our lives. They go on a crash diet. You know, they, they exercise for, you know, a period of time, maybe it's, you know, three months, you know, six months, maybe a whole year or something like that. And they lose a ton of weight. And then you see it, the magical Facebook post, right? The before and after picture on Instagram. I used to look like this, but I look like this now. And it's a ton of likes, a ton of comments. Congratulations. Great job. Great work. All those different things. Oh, that's so awesome. Look at you. Go, 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 go. And then. A lot of these people, 
gain all that weight back. They gain it back. Some of them get to where they were bigger than they were before. And then they just start the cycle over. And then a year or two down the road, they make a post again. And people say, oh, how great it is. Look at you. You're doing so great. All those different things. So if somebody has one of those moments, set a reminder on your phone for six months from that exact moment to congratulate them. And only congratulate them if they've maintained that lifestyle. Because it's kind of easy, believe it or not, to do something for 90 days. Okay, I'm not going to eat all this junk. I'm not going to eat sugar for 90 days. I'm going I'm to go keto. Or I'm going to go meditarian or I'm going to go whatever. I'm going to go blah, blah, blah. And you can do that for 90 days. You can force yourself to do it for 90 days. It's really easy, believe it or not, to go on a workout regimen, to do P90X for 90 days or to do T25 or to do this running program or to train for this particular event and then go and do that event. It's about what life looks like after that. Because your body, to lose all that weight, you're starving your own body. But then if you start adding the calories back in, if you start adding all this junk back into your diet, your body's going to store that even more fervently than it did before. Because it's like, oh, okay, the body was going through this famine period, and I don't know when the next famine period is going to happen, so let's store up this, this as much as possible, and we'll store it as fat. So don't immediately tell these people that they're awesome. Wait. Wait six months. Wait a year. And then celebrate them, which leads me to the next thing about how you can combat the fat positivity movement, which is to celebrate people for being in shape. Because I always kind of found it funny. We're celebrating these people that spent years, if not decades, destroying themselves. And then all of a sudden, we're just going to heap praise on them because for three to six months of their life, they actually lived like a disciplined adult. Is that what we want to reward? How about you tell the people that are in shape in your life, the people that take care of themselves, they watch what they eat, they're very mindful about being active. How about you send that person a quick text message? How about whenever they post, you know, themselves wearing a, wearing a suit or a dress or something like that on Facebook? Hey man, looking great. Good for you. Like, I know it's hard to be that size, to, to have maintained your weight for, you know, for the last 10, 20, 30 years, maybe your entire life, but good on you, man. Like that's discipline. Celebrate those people. And the last thing here, and again, this is where I'm going to get all the angry emails, so I'm obviously prepared for it if you're still listening to this 30 minutes in or whatever. We need to call fat Christians to repentance. Call them to repentance. We need to tell these people, you can't live like this anymore. You're dishonoring God by eating how you eat and by being, you know, just sitting around. Like, this is bad for you. This is not honoring to God. You shouldn't be doing this. Because a lot of us, if someone we knew was sinning because they were maybe acting out on a homosexual impulse, we would call them out on that. Or maybe somebody's cheating on on their taxes, or, or they're having an affair, or they're having any of these other varsity sins that we consider to be varsity sins. We're really okay about calling those things out, you know, some of us, but for the most part, we're okay with calling those people out. But something like this seems like it's too offensive, could be too hurtful. You know, it could really, really hurt someone's feelings. And supposedly, we're just not, we're not supposed to be able to do that. But again, as Christians, we should be way more concerned about how Christians live than everybody else. So why would you not call a friend of yours that is a Christian, that is fat, why would you not point this out to them? But again, it goes back to the thing is, are you modeling it yourself? Right? Because you point out to your buddy, hey, you shouldn't be cheating on your wife, and you've got an affair going, that, that's probably not the best setup for, for this entire conversation. But telling your friend or just sitting by as your, your friend has a sedentary lifestyle and they're dishonoring themselves and dishonoring the only body that God's going to give them until glory. That's not a good thing. It's not something that we should allow for the people that are in our orbit. All right, guys, we're not going to let a little rain and thunder and lightning over here mess us up. We're going to keep it going. We're going to get into the quick hitters for this week. So there was supposedly a major incidence of racism that happened during a baseball game over the weekend. So in order to really set this up, we need to go all the way back to May 13th on a night in Chicago. So there was an incident at third base between the shortstop for the Chicago White Sox named Tim Anderson and the third baseman for the New York Yankees named Josh Donaldson. So there was a play where uh, Tim Anderson kind of got caught off a third base, kind of going towards home, and the, the ball came back in from the catcher, and Josh Donaldson caught it. And in the process of catching it and trying to put the, the tag down, you could tell he kind of loses his balance a little bit, but then he kind of like goes and does what most good infielders would do is in doing the tag, you kind of want to push the person off the base a little bit. 
you don't you, you're not allowed to block the plate necessarily especially not anymore but you want to kind of move them off the plate because the ump may give you the out right so he pushes Tim Anderson a little bit as he's you know kind of trying to make the play Tim Anderson takes exception to that he gets up and he pushes you know Josh Donaldson and they kind of have some words and Tim Anderson pretends he's a tough guy and he's going to fight because obviously there's people in between them and that should have been it right not really that big a deal. I don't think the bench is even cleared. I'll put in the show notes the video so y'all can kind of watch it for yourself. But then on Saturday, this this last Saturday, there was uh, so that that initial game was the Yankees versus the White Sox in Chicago. Now the series was in New York City. It's in the Bronx, and so it happened. So <clears throat> I'll set it up this way. So it was at the end of the inning. You have Tim Anderson coming off the field. Josh Donaldson had just rounded second. There was the last play. I think there was an out at first base or something like that. And these two cross paths again, Tim Anderson and Josh Donaldson. And Tim Anderson said something to Josh Donaldson. I haven't been able to figure out what it was, but he said something to Josh Donaldson. And then Josh Donaldson said the comment. This is the comment that has made its way all the way around the sports world since Saturday. He referred to Tim Anderson as Jackie. This was reported after the game. He called him Jackie, which was a reference to Jackie Robinson, obviously the guy who very famously broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. Okay. Now, after the game, Tony LaRusso, who's the, the greatest manager in the history of baseball, he came out and said that this was on no uncertain terms. It, it was a racist comment that Josh Donaldson said towards his shortstop. And then Tim Anderson. All of a sudden, you know, he's he's bombastic on the field, right? He's hitting his chest and he's talking trash. And he's doing all this stuff and he's, you know, doing whatever, whatever. He's like, oh, he wants to fight and all that kind of stuff. And now he's really kind of sullen and not really looking anybody in the eye. And he's looking down and just like you would do if you were a victim, right? And the, the you know, one of the people in the media said, hey, your manager, Tony Russo, said this was racist. Like, what do you think? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it definitely was racist. He definitely meant it in a racist way. Okay. So if that's all I told you, if that's all there was to this story, you would probably think that Josh Donaldson for the Yankees was, you know, one inward use away from being the grand wizard of the KKK. But hold the presses. There's a little article from Sports Illustrated. Second shout out to Sports Illustrated, this podcast. A little article from 2019 that is throwing a big wrench into all this narrative about racism. You know, to anyone who's actually paying attention and cares about intellectual honesty. So this is from the article in 2019. This is Tim Anderson talking about himself. I kind of feel like today's Jackie Robinson, he says. That's huge to say, but it's cool, man, because he changed the game. And I feel like I'm getting to a point where I need to change the game. Whoopsies. Uh, Apparently, Tim Anderson hilariously thinks of himself as a modern-day Jackie Robinson. Now, Tim Anderson is a good player. He's a fine player. I think he won the batting title at one point. He's gotten some votes for MVP before. He's a really, really good player, above-average player. He's not a great player. He's not going to be a Hall of Famer. He's certainly not going to change the face of sports like Jackie Robinson did. But in his own messed-up mind, he thinks that he's like a modern-day Jackie Robinson. And apparently, Josh Donaldson had jokingly called Tim Anderson Jackie to him before, like to his face, and they both laughed about it. According to Donaldson, he was literally ribbing the guy, right? So you have everybody coming out. MLB is going to do an investigation, like somehow they're going to get into Josh Donaldson's head and figure out if he has any racial animus in his heart towards black people or something like that. And they're just going to get to the bottom of it. And, you know, everybody in the media is jumping on Josh Donaldson as this horrible racist. And even his own manager, Brett Boone, or not Brett Boone, Aaron Boone, He comes out and says that this was a bad thing and like everybody's jumping on Josh Donaldson. So this is what I would do if I were Josh Donaldson, okay? I would call a press conference and I've actually already prepared his statement. I'm going to read it to you now. So if anybody knows Josh Donaldson or Josh, if you're listening to this, I've done the the hard work for you. You're not going to have to, you know, pay a PR team on retainer to kind of come up with this for you. I've got it. I've nailed your prepared statement. So here we go. Again, this is Josh Donaldson. Hello, everyone. As you have likely heard by now, it is being reported that I made a racist remark directed at Tim Anderson this weekend when we played against the Chicago White Sox. As I was leaving the field, Tim decided to talk a little trash to me, and I responded by calling him Jackie, a name I had used before to, with him to lovingly poke fun at the fact that he referred to himself as today's Jackie Robinson in an interview with Sports Illustrated in 2019. Yet, 
After the game, when asked about the comment by the media, he clearly suffered a bout of temporary amnesia and completely forgot that he had previously said that about himself. If not a bout of temporary amnesia, the actual reason for the, his confusing comments is that he feels that it is now advantageous in our current culture to be a victim. Being a supposed victim could earn him a multi-million dollar contract after his playing days are over, a la social justice hero Colin Kaepernick. It obviously pays to be a victim, so why not take advantage? This is not a real story. The foundations of this supposed racist incident are non-existent. I reject this story entirely. So, to the media members that have been pushing this false narrative, to the White Sox manager, Tony La Russa, to the entire White Sox organization, and especially to Tim Anderson, here is my final statement. Spread your feet, bend over, grab this fake outrage, and shove it straight into your rectum. That's the statement. And then what he should do, and hopefully it's one of those things where there's like 40 microphones in front of him, he should grab each individual microphone and just drop it on the ground. Grab another one, drop it on the ground. Grab another, make it awkward. Like, take your time with it. Drop every single one on the ground. Take no questions. Flip the table over and go back and do your job being a Major League Baseball player. This is not a real story. This is so unbelievably fake. And you can tell because the entities that are covering this, like ESPN or the New York Times or the Washington Post or anything like that, if they even mention the SI article from 2019, if they even do, which a lot of them don't, it's way, 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 way down in the story. Okay? Because that is the entire story. Because it's not going to make front page news or be trending on Twitter, uh, two baseball players share words as they talk trash. Like, that's not going to be anything. But this is some sort of like modern day lynching, right? And Tim Anderson, screw Tim Anderson for this. What is, what is wrong with this guy? Like, he's been talking trash and bringing all this attention on himself his entire career. He's the one that called himself Jackie Robinson. Like, if I were Jackie Robinson's family, I'd be like, really? Tim Anderson? You want to maybe like, I don't know, win an MVP or two before you start talking like that? Can you be a little bit better than you are now before you compare yourself to one of the greatest athletes literally ever? Not just one of the most important athletes ever, but one of the greatest? Jackie Robinson was a legitimately great baseball player, a legitimate Hall of Famer. Like, but now we're all of a sudden supposed to just have you in the same conversation as him because you make it up, right? So this guy wants all the attention. He wants all the smoke until it's his opportunity to be a victim. This is not a real story. Like, Tim Anderson should absolutely be ashamed of himself. Everybody that's coming out and not defending Josh Donaldson should be ashamed of themselves. The Yankees players should be coming out right now and say, look, I know Josh Donaldson, all the players that used to play with him whenever he was on the Minnesota Twins last year or, you know, all those years he played with the Blue Jays, they should be coming out in droves right now and saying, he's not a racist person. Tim Anderson is a clown, okay? And then that should be the end of this story. All right, next quick hitter here. The Biden administration pauses their newly announced disinformation board. So this is according to Taylor Lorenz at the Washington Post. And yes, that Taylor Lorenz, the one that docks the woman that runs the libs of TikTok account, the one that is all of a sudden a professional victim as well. She said this. A pause of the Department of Homeland Security's newly created board comes after its head, Nina Jankowitz, was the victim of coordinated online attacks as the administration struggled to respond. So, according to Taylor Lorenz at the Washington Post, the story wasn't, hey, the United States government is putting together a disinformation board. No, 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 it's not that. It's not, wow, the rollout was just as bad as just about everything else that comes out of the Biden administration. No, 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 no. It was that Nina Jankowitz, poor little Nina Jankowitz, was the victim of a coordinated online attack. <laughs> Here's the reality. The story was dumb to begin with. Like, it was terrifying whenever it came through, but it's not shocking that this kind of died on the vine because just about everything that the Biden administration does dies on the vine because they're not a serious, you know, uh, administration. These are not serious people. These are people that really, really think they're smart because they hang out with other people that are smart. And then that's all they want to take care of. This is all they want to do. Okay. It is just a shocking thing to me that people are still looking at this administration as if it's something that can be turned around. That, oh, you know, you know, things are rough right now. They've been rough for the first, you know, 15 months, but I guess I'll turn it around. But Here's the big takeaway from this story. This will be tried again. It will be tried again. Now, is it possible that this will be tried by the right, by a Republican administration? Yes, it is certainly possible. But nothing that we see right now would be any evidence towards that end. So as you're pulling the lever for this candidate or that candidate on the federal level, remember this, because this would have never come about if 
the Republicans had you know, the charge of the House or the Senate right now. I doubt. I doubt that this would have been something that would have ever been announced. They didn't have to get congressional approval to create this disinformation board, but obviously this was something that they felt like they could do, that they had the stones to do it, the capability to do it, and that nobody would really respond negatively to it. Again, these people live in their own D.C. bubble. It's all these people that hang out in Washington, D.C. or New York City, and they think that everybody else in the country is just not going to be paying attention to the stuff that they're doing. But we are paying attention. All right, next one here. Gas prices hit a new record high in the U.S. So this is according to Irina Ivanov over at CBS News. This was last week. The price of gasoline in the United States edged up and hit a new all-time high as failing capacity at refineries increased the cost of filling up. The average price of of a gallon of regular gas rose to $4.43, according to AAA. That's up from $4.08 just a month ago and $3 in May of last year, with spiking energy costs contributing to the fiercest bout of inflation across the country in 40 years. Premium gas now averages $5.07, up from $3.62 a year ago, while diesel over that period has jumped from $3.15 to $5.56 a gallon. Gas now tops $4 per gallon in every U.S. state, with the biggest jump in fuel prices this week in Michigan, New Jersey, Connecticut, Kentucky, and Indiana, according to AAA. The priciest states for gas are in the West. California, 587 a gallon. Hawaii, 531 a gallon. Alaska, 481 a gallon. Nevada, 513 a gallon. And Oregon, 490 a gallon. <clears throat> so, Obviously, this isn't breaking news to you. Any of you that have driven your car in the last week or two, you understand this, especially you guys that drive diesel trucks. Maybe, you know, you work out in the field or you do stuff in oil and gas or construction or something like that. You know, something like this. This is hitting you significantly hard. And this is a really hard time here in the United States of America because in addition to gasoline, everything else is more expensive, right? Everything at the grocery store, everything that you buy even online, everything is way, way, way more expensive. Now, The administration that is currently in force is trying to tell you that this is because of Vladimir Putin, even though the price of gas was already skyrocketing before the Ukrainian uh, Ukraine was invaded by Russia. So this is not the Putin gas hike, right? All this inflationary stuff happened almost essentially whenever Biden took office, right? You can go all the way back to the Trump administration whenever there was the, you know, disrupting things with because of COVID and all the different, you know, uh, lines of communication, all the different ways of, of getting products to the market. All those things were basically thrown out of whack. But the big takeaway for me for this story is that this feels like it's by design. This may be by design because we keep hearing people from the Biden administration talk about how, well, just if you had an electric vehicle, this wouldn't be happening. Because it's these people that pretend that when you plug in something into the wall, it's magic. It's fairy dust that comes out. We don't don't talk about what happens on the other side of that plug, right? We don't talk about the fact that a lot of these places that are refining the lithium to make these batteries to go into these electric vehicles are refining them using, drumroll please, coal, which is what every environmentalist on the planet hates, right? But we don't think about that. But do you have the administration talking about how just go buy an electric vehicle? I mean, I think a cheap electric vehicle is like 35, 40 grand and you can go well over six figures, right? You can go well over $100,000 buying a really expensive Tesla. And so you really think that people that are worried about gas being over four or five dollars a gallon, that this is somehow this can be solved by spending 75 grand on an EV. Are you kidding me? This seems like it's by design because again, If the government can crash something, they can also come in and say they can fix it for you, which increases our dependence. I talked about this with with Chad Prather last week whenever I did uh, some interviews with him for The Blaze that I think are coming out later this week. If you can break something and then convince everybody that you are also the person that can fix it, dumb people will do that. They will absolutely line up and say, yeah, you're right. Help me fix it. Daddy, government daddy. That's what they're going to do. All right, next quick hitter here. Border Patrol agents encountered the highest number of people on our southern border in over a century. This is an enormous, enormous story, okay? We're obviously going to be talking about a a whole lot more throughout the summer. So this is according to Anna Giarratelli at the Washington Examiner. The number of migrants encountered attempting to enter the United States illegally from Mexico rose in April, surpassing all previous records over the past century, an indication of the scale of the illegal immigration crisis at the border. U.S. border officials intercepted 234,088 migrants attempting to enter the country illegally last month, according to a federal court document obtained by the Washington Examiner or Examiner late Monday. In the first 15 months of President Joe Biden's term in office, federal law enforcement officials at the southern border have stopped more than this is astonishing. They've stopped more than 
five million people attempting to cross into the U.S. without permission. <clears throat> so let's talk a little bit about this. Just in April, 234,088 migrants were intercepted at the border, which means how many actually got across without being intercepted? And again, in the first 15 months of Joe Biden being in office, 2.75 million people, 2.75 million people have been stopped at the southern border. Now, my senator here in the great state of Oklahoma, Senator James Lankford, pointed this out whenever he was addressing Congress. He talked about how since Joe Biden has been taken into, I almost said taken into custody, he probably should be, but since Joe Biden has taken over the White House, we have found or we have intercepted people at the border from every single other country on the planet, all of them. There's been somebody from all of them. So think of a country, think of the most obscure country that you can think of for whatever reason, Eritrea is the one I'm thinking of in my brain. There's been somebody caught at our Southern border from that country. But you have to remember, this includes our enemies. This includes China, North Korea, Iran, Russia. Any of these countries or people groups that hate us and hate our way of life, they're making their way into our country and they're just walking over the border or a coyote is taking them across the border. This is an entirely enormous story. If, if not for the rest of the news cycle, this should be the news that everybody is talking about. And not because people of color bad, brown people bad, because we shouldn't have immigration in this country. It's not because of any of those things. It's because we don't have a way to sustain these people in this country. You can't create this permanent underclass of citizenry in the United States. And guys, I don't have the time here, and it's certainly not the place in the episode to really dive in with both feet into this issue. I've actually talked about this whenever there was a surge probably two or three years ago. I did an entire episode on it, and I will likely do that again at some point this summer. But this is my big takeaway from this story. The last one I talked about how that, that may be by design, the whole electric vehicle gas prices thing, that may be by design, probably by design. This is by design. This is 100% by design. Because as a nation, we could close the southern border if we really wanted to. And to all you Trumpers out there, it goes beyond a wall. A wall is obvious, you know, it's an obvious basic deterrent. That's how you deter people from coming into your home. You have locks on your doors and you have walls, right? But if we really, really wanted to, we could shut down the southern border this year. Now, you could go crazy because, and I'm and by no means advocating this, I think this would be insane, but you could put the military on the southern border and shoot anybody that's trying to come across. And then all of a sudden there would be no one else trying to get across. Again, I'm not advocating for that. I do not think we should do that to anybody that's going to clip this out later and say that I'm advocating that we shoot people at the border. I'm literally not saying that. I'm saying that we shouldn't do that, but we could do that. That's what other countries do to keep people from crossing borders. And it works incredibly well. But since we are a country that was founded on Judeo-Christian ethics because we do act as a country in a better moral way than most other countries on the planet. There are ways to take care of this where you can still humanely treat people that are actually trying to come to the ports of entry legally to get asylum. But the way that we're doing it now, the border is open because Joe Biden and his administration want it to be. Again, it seems like I'm dumping on Joe Biden with all these quick hitters, but it's so obvious they want this to happen. And now everyone's talking about the great replacement theory and all these different things. And none of that super duper applies to all of this. But there is a reason they're not just opening it up because, you know, the overwhelming majority of Democrats just have the biggest hearts possible and they want as many people to share in their love that they could give. This is by design. They're trying to hurt the United States of America. Now, as a Christian, which we should all look at all these different things through a Christian lens, I, all throughout scripture, we see, you know, people that should uh, take pity on, on the, the sojourner and take pity on these people and help these people. And I want us to be able to do that. But the best way of helping them is not by having it to where they're illegally coming across the border, risking their lives in order to do so. And then once they get here, they're like, okay, no big deal. Like, yes, you should be poor for the remainder of your life in this country because of some sort of altruism or something, right? This is, this is a really, really big story, but we're going to get more into it later. So we're going to hit the last quick hitter here. Netflix tells their woke employees to grow up finally, but should we actually believe them? 
I'm not so sure. So according to Chris Inlow over at Blaze Media, Netflix is taking a hardline stance against woke employees who advocate for silencing artists whose content offends them. The news come after net the news comes after Netflix disclosed a dismal business performance in the first quarter of 2022. The company in fact lost 200,000 subscribers between January and March, the first subscriber decline in more than a decade. The company has expected a uh, the company had expected a net gain of 2.5 million subscribers over that time period. The streaming platform updated its famous corporate culture memo to include a section on artistic expression, Variety reported. The memo vows Netflix will not cancel artists even if Netflix employees find the content or objectionable or harmful. Not everyone will like or agree with everything on our service, the memo reads. While every title is different, we approach them based on the same set of principles. We support the artistic expression of the creators who choose to work with or we choose to work with. We program for a diversity of audiences and tastes, and we let viewers decide what's appropriate for them versus having Netflix censor specific artists or voices. The memo adds that if employees cannot support Netflix's work, they should hit the road and find another job. As employees, we support the principle that Netflix offers a diversity of stories, even if we find some titles counter to our own personal values. Depending upon your role, you may need to work on titles you perceived you may need to work on titles you perceive to be harmful, the memo states. So I kind of jacked that up there at the end. But Netflix is signaling that you might have to nut up and work on stuff that you think is harmful or that you don't agree with or that just doesn't agree with their sensibilities or it makes you sad or those types of things. But guys, I don't believe this for a second. Not one second. Obviously, when I saw they lost a couple hundred thousand subscribers in one quarter when they thought they were going to get $2.5 million things, uh, 2.5 million subscribers during that time period, I could see that. There's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe we've reached this crescendo of these these different you know entities that are allowing you to subscribe for their content. Maybe it's because people are going to other content things. Maybe it's because there was a big uptick because of COVID and now people are kind of coming back down because they're going back to work and they're they're going out without masks and they're doing all these different things. There's a lot of different reasons for it. But I think that this is just straight up signaling from Netflix. That's what I think this is. I don't think they actually believe this. I do not think they're actually going to be telling their woke employees that, hey, uh, if you don't like working on this Trump documentary, get out. Or hey, if you don't like working on this, this thing that doesn't, you know, cast this group that you find to be special in the most positive light, that they're going to tell them to hit the road. I don't believe that at all. Because I think the people that run Netflix actually believe in all these entities. They believe all these ideologies that are from the woke left. They believe it, right? Now, as I told you guys years ago, I got rid of my Netflix subscription the moment I found out about the Cuties movie, the movie that, you know, kind of glorifies and, and takes advantage of these young girls and sexualizes them, right? It's basically kitty porn. It's still up on the platform. And I will not consider having a Netflix sub subscription as long as that is on the platform. I'm sorry. Because if I spend whatever it is, 15 bucks a month on Netflix, part of what I'm paying for is for that creator to be paid for child porn, for taking advantage of these young girls and sexualizing them. I'm not into it, right? And I encourage all of you guys to get rid of your Netflix accounts as well. But this is my big takeaway for this. If this is true, again, I really don't think it is. But if it is, go woke, go broke, y'all. Because this is the deal. If you keep putting out stuff, where you are castigating half of your audience and calling them bigots just for thinking the way that they think, don't be shocked when they get rid of their account. This is pretty easy. And Netflix has signaled that they're not going to be doing, you know, this series with Ember Max Kindy. You know, they're not going to be doing, you know, this different woke thing and that different woke thing. Maybe that's all true. But let's see how it goes into the future. Because again, I significantly have my doubts. But if this were true, that would be a great thing. Because if Netflix could tell all their woke employees to go pound sand, or hey, you have to be an adult if you're going to work here, you're not going to like everything that you do, and if you don't like it to a certain degree, there are plenty of other places for you to go work, I think that would be a great thing, and I hope a whole bunch of other companies would follow suit. All right, guys, thanks for listening to the show. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So here are all the links I've got for you today. First of all, I've got a link to where you can buy your Undaunted Life gear. Again, guys, May 31st, we are cutting off the pre-order for the new hats and shirts. And then I've got a link to all the articles that are referred to in this show, including all the quick hitters. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. Wherever you're listening to this, Please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. 
You can follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.